0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, coming
1: up on this Tuesday edition, the Chinese Communist Party is not only flying spy balloons over the U.S., they are also setting up police stations in the United States to monitor and intimidate critics of the Chinese government. This, according to the Department of Justice.
2: Two miles from our office... Just across the Brooklyn Bridge, this nondescript office building in the heart of bustling Chinatown in lower Manhattan has a dark secret. Until several months ago, an entire floor of this building hosted an undeclared police station of the Chinese National Police. That
1: was U.S. Attorney Brian Peace in New York. What's behind the increasingly aggressive moves of the CCP? We're going to talk with Florida Senator Marco Rubio, Vice Chair of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. And speaking of China, Michigan residents are outraged that st- state lawmakers have spent nearly sixty or six hundred rather million dollars in taxpayer money to to uh, fund Chinese-owned manufacturing plants in the state. Now wait until you hear what the plants will be making and where the raw materials are coming from. Former Congressman and Ambassador Pete Hoekstra will be here with those details. And the White House is calling a blitz on Republican-led efforts to protect women's and girls' sports. President Biden said he would veto the Protection of Women and Girls Sports Act. So congressional Democrats are lining up to take their shots at the bill. A bill that simply says women's sports are for, you guessed it, women.
2: This bill is not about protecting kids or children or anything.
1: Uh, This is a bill that is an attempt to try to drive another wedge in our society to try to create an issue where there isn't one. That was Congressman Jim McGovern of Massachusetts. He sounds like he's taking his talking points from the leadership of Bud Light. Well, we're going to talk about that. Meg Kilgannon joins me in studio in just a moment. Today, a House committee holding one of many hearings on the disastrous Afghan withdrawal. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the program with Arizona Congressman Eli Crane. And I mentioned this yesterday in passing this weekend. I spoke at an RNC, a Republican National Convention event in Nashville, about the importance of the life issue and how we need to not go silent on this defining issue. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later here on Washington Watch. And earlier today, Dr. Charles Stanley, who pastored First Baptist Church in Atlanta for over 50 years, went to be with the Lord. And I
0: think all these years, the greatest lesson I've ever learned is to trust God. Don't try to figure him out. Just trust him and watch him work. And that's one of my favorite phrases. Trust God and watch him work because he's always willing and ready. And God never comes up short. He never comes up late. He's always on
1: time to do whatever needs to be done. Dr. Charles Stanley was 90 years old. Our word for today comes from Ezekiel 29, verses 8 and 9. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will bring a sword upon you and will cut off from you man and beast, and the land of Egypt will be a desolation and a waste. Then they will know that I am the Lord, because you said the Nile is mine, and I made it. What was the reason for God's judgment upon Egypt? Well, it's the same reason so many other nations face judgment, pride. Pharaoh claimed that he was God. He was the creator of the Nile. Pride will eventually destroy all nations. Nebuchadnezzar's defeat of Egypt came when Babylon was at the height of its success under Nebuchadnezzar. But within a year, within a year of that victory over Egypt, we read in Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar went mad for seven years. What got to him? His pride. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says it. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. To join us in our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, before we get to our first topic today, I want to get uh, to I want to go to our Washington stand news desk for a quick look at some of the other issues that we are covering here to give us a report is Joshua Arnold, a writer for the Washington stand. Joshua, thanks so much for joining us today.
3: Hi, Tony. Happy
1: to be here. you wrote a piece, a commentary piece, commenting on the weekend violence in Los Angeles and Chicago and how these uh, jurisdictions are pursuing policies that cut parents out and then they wonder what's going on.
3: That's right. There's tons of video evidence that couldn't be covered up. A mob of about 100 people stormed a gas station in L.A. and broken and smashed things and looted it all. Um, Apparently, they left a trail of destruction in their wake at other um, businesses as well. This was related to um, illegal street closures, related to illegal drag racing. And a spokesperson for the sheriff's department said that this has been happening uh, pretty frequently. Meanwhile, in Chicago, you had multiple nights where A bunch of teens gathered downtown, hundreds and hundreds of them, in what some are calling a teen takeover. They stood on buses. They smashed car windows. Um, There were even reports of shootings, and several people hospitalized either from beatings or from gunshot wounds. And And, and many of the bystanders are saying, you know, why is this happening? Where are the parents?
1: Well, and it sounded as the mayor-elect there in Chicago is defending the actions of these youth.
3: Yeah, it's really hard to imagine how this is happening. He might be trying to cover for the uh, Chicago Teachers' Union and others, because what we know is um, that the teachers' unions— In many of the major cities have kind of shut parents out of the process. You know, they're hiding important details about a child's development and life, such as their gender identity at school. They're hiding them from parents, and they're cutting parents out of the process. Even when parents sue them or even when children try to commit suicide, they're not telling parents. And that's a real problem. Um, They're turning these children into radical left-wing activists and parents are being undermined in their moral authority over their children.
1: Well, we can only imagine that these uh, cities like Chicago, New York, and others are only going to get worse when it comes to uh, youth-led violence. Uh, Joshua Arnold, thanks so much for for joining us today. Thanks, Tony. On Thursday, the House is expected to vote on the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act. Now, this is an important bill that not only requires schools to follow the true intent— of Title IX, ensuring fairness and equality for female athletes, but also protects private spaces for biological women. But with women's sports under attack in America, the Biden administration has already announced, already announced that they will veto this bill if it passes. Now, this really raises questions about what is driving this administration and its fixation on transgenderism. Well, join me now to discuss this is Meg Kilgannon. She's a senior fellow for education studies here at the Family Research Council. She served in the Department of Education during the Trump administration. Meg, welcome back to the program.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: All right. So this is a a common sense measure. Congressman Greg Stubbe of Florida has the bill going to be voted on uh, this Thursday as scheduled. So so what's the problem here? What's so controversial about saying women's sports are for women?
4: Well, I think that the problem the Biden administration has with it is that they think that there are some men who are women. And because they do, and this this bill per- saves sports for that are designed for women to be for women, they are preemptively trying to bully people into not voting for this bill. Um, maybe they're hearing that There are some Democrats in red states who are thinking maybe they should vote for this bill. We've seen a little bit of crossover in the state legislatures on these sports bills in this regard. I don't think that's the case here in Washington, but you never know how they're hedging their bets.
1: Now, you studied the Biden administration's efforts to dismantle Title IX, the protection of which created women's sports. What's their strategy
5: here?
4: The, the latest iteration of the rule they've released is one that is designed to, um, to ensure that transgender, quote-unquote, transgender athletes would have access to the sports of their gender identity. And one of the things that is so um, dishonest about calling these bills transgender sports bans, we're not saying that boys can't be on the boys' team. <laughs> They're certainly right. welcome to play with the boys, as they always have been. As the girls are welcome to play with the girls. No, one's, no one right? is banned, no from
1: one's banned from sports. No one's banned
4: from sports. What they are prevented from doing is forcing everyone else to participate in their delusion that they are the opposite sex.
1: Politically speaking, did the Democrats not run the risk of losing women voters over things like this?
4: I, I certainly think that this doesn't play in the suburbs quite the way that they think it does. Um, But uh, there are um, there is just a tremendous amount of cultural pressure on this issue Um, and so much entertainment content. So many characters are transgender. So many.
1: Well, there's clearly this is being pushed. Uh, Talk a little bit about the the veto message from the or or the the promised veto message from the White House. That It seems. try to to be nuanced in what they said.
4: Right. They they are echoing some of the language that's in their Title IX rule. And in the Title IX rule, they have um, proclaimed that there's no reason to have sex-segregated sports in elementary school. And so they won't entertain any plans that include sex-segregated sports in elementary school. But you could possibly maybe, as a woman, try to make the case that it's important for women to be separated from men in more competitive sports or in higher grades. And so if if you can prove it, they're willing to entertain the idea that women might have the need to have their own set of sports.
2: But
1: to me, that sounds like they're trying to run out the clock and then they want to they want to make sure they can indoctrinate young children right. in this policy. Sure. And and so that once they get to high school, they're all oh, this is normal.
4: Right. So if the kids are used to everybody playing all together and there are many, many children's sports, you know, uh, T-ball and that kind of thing. Sure. That where all the kids play together and that's fine. Right. But there are sports that are important. There's certainly value for children to be in sex. I think
1: I I see what they're doing is that they they see the resistance they're getting across the country. We've got uh, bills. I was actually talking with Governor DeSantis earlier today. They have a, a safe-type act that's going to be yep. coming out of the Florida legislature. The pushback is across the country. They see it. So they want to step back from this frontal assault that they're running into and move back and kind of outflank the culture by erasing the lines of gender distinction in right. elementary school right. in an innocuous fashion so that kids are just desensitized to the fact that there's a difference between the sexes.
4: Right. And you know uh, there there was a great point made recently that this really is an attack on merit generally you know if you If you eliminate the categories of sex within sports and you then anyone can play on the team, then that means you don 't have to have any particular skill to play on the team, which is reflective of grading policies in schools academically <laughs> because we 're just passing right. kids through and not they 're not really learning right and so sports was sort of the, one of the last places where You had to be able to do it if you wanted to be on the team.
1: Well, this kind of ruins the whole thing, though. When I was in school, we didn't have money for jerseys and all that stuff when we played ball, so we had shirts and skins. Can't do that. You can't do that (laughs) anymore, can you? Meg Kilgannon, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Tony. And, and, folks, look, you can still weigh in on this uh, as it's coming up on Thursday. And we need to communicate to Republicans in the House that their support for them standing in defense of women's sports. So uh, I, I put this out yesterday, and, and, and now we've got it all all straight. If you'd like to sign this petition going to the House Speaker to say, hey, we want to see the Republicans draw a bright, clear line on this Text the word sports, that's sports, that's plural, sports, to 67742, 67742, the word sports, and you can sign that petition that we'll be delivering to the House Speaker. All right, don't go away. Still a lot more Washington Watch to come. The Chinese Communist Party got caught red-handed with a police agency here in the United States to harass critics, the Chinese Communist Party. Florida Senator Marco Rubio joins us next. Don't go away. More Washington Watch Straight Ahead.
6: Everything we do begins as an idea. Before there can be acts of courage, there must be the belief that some things are worth sacrificing for. Before there can be marriage, there is the idea that man should not be alone. Before there was freedom, there was the idea that individuals are created equal. It's true that all ideas have consequences, but we're less aware that all consequences are the fruit of ideas. Before there was murder, there was hate. Before there was a Holocaust, there was the belief by some people that other people are undesirable. Our beliefs determine our behavior, and our beliefs about life's biggest questions determine our worldview. Where did I come from? Who decides what is right and wrong? What happens when I die? Our answers to these questions explain why people see the world so differently. Debates about abortion are really disagreements about where life gets its value. Debates over sexuality and gender and marriage are really disagreements about whether the rules are made by us or for us. What we think of as political debates are often much more than that. They're disagreements about the purpose of our lives and the source of truth. As Christians, our goal must be to think biblically about everything. Our goal is to help you see beyond red and blue, left and right, to see the battle of ideas at the root of it all. Our goal is to equip Christians with a biblical worldview and help them advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square. Cultural renewal doesn't begin with campaigns and elections. It begins with individuals turning from lies to truth. But that won't happen if people can't recognize a lie and don't believe truth exists. We want to help you see the spiritual war behind the political war, the truth claims behind the press release, and the forest from the trees.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Again, if you would like to uh, sign the petition in support of women's sports, girls' sports, text the word sports, S-P-O-R-T-S, to 67742. That's 67742 to sign that petition. Well, yesterday, federal prosecutors arrested two Chinese nationals accused of establishing a Chinese police station in Manhattan. The illegal outpost is believed to be one of more than 100 of these Chinese Communist Party's uh, outposts that have been stationed around the world. They're used to monitor and intimidate overseas citizens of China, especially those who are critical of the communist regime. Uh, This is quite remarkable and the brazen efforts of the Chinese to intimidate people who have left. Now, I've worked with some Chinese dissidents who have been here in the country on the religious freedom issue who report that they're being tracked and harassed. Well, join me now to to discuss this and more is Senator Marco Rubio. He serves on five Senate committees, including the Senate Intelligence Committee, where he is the vice chairman. He represents the state of Florida. Senator Rubio, welcome back to Washington Watch.
2: Glad to be with you. Thanks for having me.
1: Good to see you. Uh, let me ask you this. What does yesterday's arrest of two Chinese nationals operating this illegal police station in lower Manhattan tell us about the Chinese Communist Party's ambitions?
2: Well, I think it should tell us that they have no limits to what they're willing to do to further their agenda around the world. They don't respect boundaries and borders and other countries. So they basically had agents operating inside the United States for the purpose of harassing. And in many cases, trying to lure Chinese Americans back to the mainland of China, uh, where they can then uh, obviously do whatever it is they need to do to punish them for speaking out against China, for having positions. In some cases, by the way, they're harassing people in the U.S., Chinese Americans, because of what their relatives are doing back inside of China, like we've seen with Uyghur Muslims and the like. So it shows you that we've reached the stage now where they're not afraid to operate inside of our country in this manner.
1: Does this say something about America's resolve to stand up to China? I mean, it's one thing for them to be flying a spy balloon over our country, but to be setting up these outposts of their public uh, safety, what they call their public uh, safety uh, ministry. I mean, this is pretty brazen.
2: It is. Look, I mean, I don't know of any other precedent for it. And um any other country has ever done that inside the United States. It says a lot as well about the perception of America and the rest of the world. I mean, they watch our newscasts. I want to be frank, watch our society and our culture imploding from within. They see we're a country obsessed with things that aren't true, like men pretending to be women and, and all these other things. We have a president who cannot put sentences together coherently in America that is constantly beating up on itself and talking about how terrible we are. They see a great power in decline. And they think that they are now strong enough that they can challenge us in this way. It, it does speak to that. And it's, it's the reality and one that we're going to have to do something about.
1: It. Senator, uh, the Chinese defense minister, uh, Shang-Fu, is in Moscow this week, strengthening ties with Vladimir Putin. Now, the Biden administration has tried to pressure Beijing, as if they were a friend, into pushing Putin to end the war in Ukraine. But it appears that they've only grown closer. Your, your thoughts on that?
2: Well, that's right, because what's happening is the Chinese and the Russians both share a common goal, and that is they want a world that's no longer a world where America is the most powerful country. They want a a multipolar world in which there is a sphere of influence that's at least equal, if not more powerful, to the U.S.-led free alliance, and they've partnered up in that regard. And Whatever differences they may have had historically, they share this common goal of diminishing the U.S.'s standing in the world and increasing their own. And so you see them doing things like uh, not just aligning with one another, but you also see them going around the world trying to undermine our existing long-term relationships. The Brazilians are now cozying up to them. The president of Brazil was there very recently. Uh, Other countries that have gotten closer to China, uh, you saw the the deals they've cut in the Middle East with the Saudis and Iran. So it it is a direct attack on America's influence in the world and the, the goal of creating an alternative and ultimately a replacement to American leadership.
1: That, that's a frightening concept uh, because it will, it will alter not just things here in the United States, but literally have uh, implications worldwide. I, I wanna, we just have a couple minutes left. I want to switch topics to, to the life issue. You've been very outspoken uh, in your time in the United States Senate. You've led on the life issue, and you've introduced uh, a measure called the Providing for Life Act. Uh, tell us about that.
2: Well, I think we want to be pro-life at every stage. And so that means that if someone comes into difficult circumstances, isn't difficult circumstances, and learns now that they're pregnant, we don't want that woman feeling like a child is a burden. Children should not be a burden. And so I think we have an obligation to protect and to support women who decide to carry children to term. And so that includes things, for example, like not just assistance to them, but they may need sort of uh, um, things like child support, as an example. I mean, in many of these cases you have fathers who are responsible for that life who decide that they're going to take off and and it costs a lot of money uh, and a lot of effort and time. It can be exhausting for women to chase after the men who are responsible for this, to do their part for supporting that child. It means helping women continue to go to school, making accommodations so they can continue their degrees at colleges and universities and not lose their financial aid because they have to take a semester off and what have you. So it's a host of things that we've come up with to be supportive of mothers, who decide that we're going to carry our children to term because what we're trying to say here is irrespective of the circumstances by which that pregnancy came about, that is a human being and no human child, uh, whether they're born or still in in, in uterus should be considered a liability, should be considered uh, uh, something, a burden, something bad that's happened. It's a blessing.
1: And and Senator, you, you were reelected handedly, uh, won a major reelection there were some that were saying that the life issue is a liability to Republicans. Uh, you it wasn't a liability for you. You spoke very clearly about it. Is it the, is the problem that Republicans are running from an issue that they have really owned for so many years?
2: Well, I think the most important thing is to be genuine about where you stand on this issue. I, I understand that this is a conflictive issue and that there's public opinion that's divided in the country over it. And, um, and that's why it's important to point out that what the Supreme Court decided last year was that, what all they decided was that elected officials at the state level could decide what your state laws are. But I've been pretty clear with people. I believe human life is worthy of the protection of our laws. I don't think that that protection goes away because you're only nine days old or nine weeks old and in your mother's womb. I think that's a human life. That's the only thing it could become. It is a living being that is growing and developing and, and and that deserves the protection of our life. They're the most vulnerable. Yeah. Of all the people... The most vulnerable is the unborn. They can't hire a lawyer. They can't vote. They don't have a name that, And we should protect them. and Our laws should protect them. And I just speak frankly about it. I've been consistent on it my whole life. It's a moral issue to me, not a political
1: And we appreciate you for doing that. Senator Marco Rubio, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks, Tony. All
1: right, folks, stick with us. More on the other side of the break. People in Michigan upset about China bringing business to town. We're going to talk about it.
7: All of us are born with the desire to find truth and meaning. Where did I come from? What happens when I die? While our answers to these questions may divide us, we are united in our need for the freedom to answer life's biggest questions and make life's biggest decisions for ourselves. That's why religious freedom matters for everyone. Religious freedom matters because the powerful have long wanted to control those who are less powerful. Religious freedom matters because the freedom of those who are different is often threatened by those who believe different is dangerous. Leah Cherubu, a Christian teenager in Nigeria, remains a captive of Boko Haram for her refusal to renounce her Christian faith. Chinese pastor Wang Yi is serving a nine-year sentence for speaking publicly against the Chinese government this because people in power decided different is dangerous. At the Center for Religious Liberty at Family Research Council, we promote religious freedom for everyone because the only alternative is religious freedom for no one. We encourage Americans and the American government to engage and advocate for the persecuted, and they do. We work every day to bring good news to the afflicted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and freedom to prisoners. We do it because that's what Jesus does. We work to give freedom to others because we ourselves have been set free.
1: There's still time to sign the petition in support of the Protect Women and Girls Sports Act, which is uh, by Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe. Text the word sports to six, seven, seven, four, two. That's six, seven, seven, four, two, the word sports. And you'll get a link to the petition. Democrat lawmakers in Michigan aim to commit more than 500 million taxpayer dollars. For a manufacturing plant, that would make electric vehicle battery components. They say it will bring jobs to the region, but there's a catch. The plant would be owned by a U.S. subsidiary of the Chinese manufacturer Goshen, a high-tech company with governing bylaws uh, pledging allegiance to the Chinese Communist Party. Now, local residents are outraged, and the uh, project has stalled due to the uproar. Joining me now to discuss this in more is Ambassador Pete Hoekstra. He uh, represented the 2nd District of Michigan in Congress for 18 years, including a stint as chair of the House Intelligence Committee. And he served as U.S. Ambassador to the Netherlands during the Trump administration. Ambassador Hoekstra, welcome to Washington Watch.
0: Good to be with you, Tony. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, let's, uh, let's talk about the backstory here in these manufacturing plants. What's going on?
0: Well, actually, the numbers, uh, the the Senate may vote uh, in the coming days on a $500 million package, but if you take a look at two battery plants that uh, our governor is pushing and the legislature is pushing, it totals close to $4 billion in tax incentives, infrastructure, uh, and handouts to two Chinese manufacturers to build battery plants here in the state of Michigan. Uh, yeah, that's roughly uh, four hundred dollars for every single citizen in the United States of America. Excuse me, in the in in the state of Michigan, meaning a family of five will be investing two thousand uh, dollars into the Chinese Communist Party.
1: Uh, there, there's another wrinkle in this in terms of the raw material that these plants will be supposedly be getting. Uh, to make these batteries, tell us about that.
0: Yeah, we did a press conference on that today. Over the weekend, uh, we uh, we had some sh- sharp uh, individual notice that in the Kabul newspaper uh, they featured Go Chin, which may be related to Go Goshen, but it, it doesn't really matter because if you're a Chinese company, your allegiance is to the Chinese Communist Party. What was in the article? Go-Chin is going to uh, put a, an offer on the table for $10 billion for a number of different projects, including a project uh, to mine lithium in Afghanistan, uh, and this is all orchestrated through the Taliban. So imagine this, Michigan taxpayer money going to Goshen, going to the Chinese Communist Party, going to Afghanistan to mine lithium uh, in a deal arranged by the Taliban. Uh, this is, uh, you know, I'd like to say it's unbelievable, but it's happening. Uh, and, it, you know, the legislature may put the final touches on it in the coming days. Now, the Democrats control the legislature there in Michigan.
1: Any chance that this might be stopped? I mean, the public outrage seems to be pretty intense.
0: Uh, it really is. Uh But remember, uh, Republicans have their fingerprints all all over this as well. This is not just a Democrat issue. Uh, There are Republicans in Michigan that uh, have uh, their fingerprints on this. You're probably very familiar with the city of Grand Rapids. Well, the major economic development unit out of Grand Rapids, the right place, has been a staunch supporter uh, of this project with the CCP, including uh, people who are probably many, uh, you know, were friends of theirs. My hats go off to the people of Big Rapids and Marshall, Michigan, two rural communities uh, in our state. It's the grassroots that have, you know, they're brighter than the people in our state capitol, Lansing. They are brighter than the people in Washington. Uh, You know, they looked at this and they said, hmm, $400 per person in Michigan going to the Chinese Communist Party? (laughs) Yeah, they didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about they about this or you know debating the pluses and the minuses they said this is nuts uh you know you've got human rights abuses religious prosecution uh you know the mining they do is environmentally unfriendly they've got uh, you know they use child and women forced labor in the mines. Uh, they just look at them and say, "No, we don't want these Chinese plants in our communities." If anybody stops it, it's going to be the grassroots in Michigan. So, what's the
1: action item there for folks in Michigan?
0: Uh, the action item is to uh, you know really offer support to uh, the local folks. But the action item is to call our state legislature, uh, Republicans and Democrats. And to say, you know, don't bring this up for a vote as a legislature. Pause this project or at least pause it until you can do a deep dive into the connections between the Chinese Communist Party and these economic development, so-called economic development activities in the state of Michigan.
1: All right. uh, We'll do that. Ambassador, thanks so much for uh, taking time to join us today and draw our attention to yet another tentacle of the Chinese Communist Party making its way into the United States. Good to see
3: you. Thank you, Tony. All
1: right, folks, coming up, as the White House continues to whitewash and downplay the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, the House Homeland Security Committee held a hearing today to study the chaotic series of events that led to the deaths of 13 U.S. servicemen. We're going to take a look at that. Congressman Eli Crane will join me next after the break. And in the meantime... If you've not yet signed the petition in support of women's sports, text the word sports to 67742. That's 67742, the word sports. Don't go away. We're back with more after this. It begins here and here and here. Every day. Before you stand, you need solid ground. Standing in a culture that wants you to surrender the truth won't work unless you have a firm foundation. At Family Research Council, we have that firm foundation, and you can find us standing. We stand for the value of all human life, we stand for the right of families to flourish, and every day we stand for your freedom to believe. To live out those beliefs both at home and abroad. We work with government officials, educating them on the issues from a biblical worldview, and when necessary, we hold them accountable. We equip Christians across America to be informed and to take action in their communities. With our daily radio program, television appearances, and vast online presence, we reach people where they are. We envision an America where all human life is valued, families flourish, and religious liberty thrives. And that won't be realized if we're not standing. Stand for faith. Stand for family. Stand for freedom. Stand with us at FRC. I'm often asked by people, Tony, how do you stay encouraged? How do you deal with all of the stuff in Washington, D.C., the negative policies that are attacking our faith, our family, and our freedoms? Well, you want me to let you in on the secret? It's called the Word of God. And that is why the Family Research Council embarked on Stand on the Word, a two-year journey through the Bible. It's a chronological Bible reading plan with just 10 to 15 minutes a day. In two years, you will have covered the entire Bible. And to go along with this, Monday through Friday, I do a morning devotional that goes along with the reading of the day. It's all designed to encourage you on this journey, because the Word of God, as the psalmist said, in my affliction, here's my comfort. Your Word gives me life. That is our source of strength. To find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com or FRC.org slash Bible. And I invite you to join me every morning for our Stand on the Word Bible Devotion.
3: This fall, believers from across America will gather in our nation's capital, We'll hear from government leaders, policy experts, and leading Christian voices, learning how we can engage in government at every level, from local school boards to state legislatures to Congress and even the White House, to win back the soul of our nation. Join with us for the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit, Believe and Engage, September 15th through 17th. Register now at prayvotestand.org.
1: I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch. Thanks for tuning in on this Tuesday. The website is TonyPerkins.com. By the way, coming up on May the 4th, National Day of Prayer, we're going to be doing a special National Day of Prayer event at our new studio expansion facility in Baton Rouge. So if you're in the Baton Rouge area and want to join us, you can find out more by going to TonyPerkins.com. Also, we'll be broadcasting that 7 p.m. Central Time, 8 p.m. Eastern. If you'd like to tune in, you can do that. Again, you can find that information at TonyPerkins.com. You'll recall that earlier this month, the National Security Council released its assessment of the chaotic U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. Though the report was billed as an effort to study and learn from the disastrous withdrawal, it merely whitewashed the administration's failure while finger-pointing and placing the blame, guess where? On Donald Trump. Well, earlier today, a subcommittee of the House Homeland Security Committee held a hearing on the Biden administration's catastrophic Afghan withdrawal, seeking to understand what the administration would rather keep buried. What were they not telling us? Well, join me now to discuss this, Congressman Eli Crane. He serves on the House Homeland Security Committee, the House Small Business Committee, and the House Committee on Veterans Affairs. He represents the 2nd Congressional District of Arizona. Congressman Crane, welcome to Washington Watch.
5: Hey, thanks for having me on, Mr. Perkins. Appreciate it.
1: So tell us about today's hearing. What did
5: we learn? Well, I think we learned from uh, the vast majority of the witnesses that we had that um, it was a disastrous withdrawal. There was no responsibility or accountability um, taken whatsoever. It seemed like even the uh, Democrats' own witness would agree with a lot of what we were saying as Republicans and Honestly, uh, Tony, it it just goes to uh, show that regardless of whether we're talking about the border, the economy, inflation or this uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan, this administration continues to show no sign of taking any responsibility for the shape that this country is currently in.
1: So, Congressman, getting a chance to look at the details of what we saw the big picture of, you know, it was disastrous. It was Embarrassing. You 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 pick the uh, the adjective and, and fill in the blank. But how did this withdrawal, as you've looked at this, signal weakness to the world and damage our credibility on the international stage?
5: Well, I think uh, obviously it definitely hurt our integrity with some of our allies um, who probably next time we say hey we're going to we we want to we want to help or we want you guys to help us and we got your back i i doubt they're going to believe us and i think you're starting to see some of that with the way you know the geopolitical chessboard is starting to shift around um from countries that have worked with the united states uh for a very long time actually starting to look towards other countries and abandon the united states our currency um, Etc. And one, I can tell you something. Uh, Mr. Perkins, one of the most uh, disturbing parts of that entire uh, hearing today, um, despite you know, was obviously the Democrats wanted to keep blaming um, you know President Trump for everything that went went on. And and the other thing that I found really disturbing was that uh, they kept talking about the biggest threat that we face in the homeland and with our security is uh, domestic terrorism. And it's interesting, Tony, because I, you know, I spent um, you know, several years in the SEAL teams. I did three deployments in the SEAL teams, uh, fighting in the Middle East. And when when we were talking about terrorists, um, it, it was a completely different word than when the Democrats used that same word. When they say that, they're talking about um often they're talking about individuals wearing make America great again hats who are Trump supporters, who you know will will get out of hand, you know, at a rally or something like that. And um, when when I talk about terrorists and when many of us that are serious about security talk about terrorists, we're talking about people that will uh, behead you or saw your saw your head off on national television um, and uh, take note, have no problem doing it whatsoever. So it's really that's one of the most disturbing things. Mr. Perkins is yeah. just watching the definite, you know, the Democrats, try and gaslight the American people about, you know, what the real threats in this country are.
1: could not agree with you more, Congressman Crane. Coming out of the Marine Corps, I served with the State Department in their anti-terrorism as we looked at uh, bolstering our allies to be able to fight abroad and deal with terrorism so we wouldn't have to deal with it here at home. Same reason you, as a Navy SEAL, fought on foreign shores to keep us safe here at home but if we go down this path weakness displaying uh, uh, an an inability to stand with our allies is this not making us more vulnerable here at home
5: it absolutely is and that problem is obviously compounded by the fact mr perkins that we don't have a southern border and every everybody around the world knows it terrorist organizations know it that's why you've seen such a spike of the uh, encounters um, that we've had of individuals on the terror watch list uh coming to encounter with our border patrol agents. Um, you know, it, it it these are just scary times, sir. And and I wish I could talk some sense um into my counterparts on the other side um who seem to want to stay front sight focused on President Donald Trump and uh, you know, domestic terrorists as as they call them. And the sad thing is, sir, we have some real issues Uh, We have some real threats to this country and and to our future. And I'm really not too sure that the Democratic Party wants to actually address those. They they seem far more interested in just playing politics and gaslighting the American people.
1: Well, Congressman, for those that have actually dealt with the dangers of the terrorist, this is not a game Uh, for them. It's uh, it's a game. Congressman Eli Crane, I want to thank you for joining us and uh, thank you for your service to our country.
5: Thank you, Mr. Perkins. Thank you for yours as well.
1: Semper Fi. Well, even as, look, I, I tell you, the, the, this is amazing. And it, it really does show the divide that has come up in our country. And, and you know, we've got young men like Eli Crane. Um, we've got a lot of these men and women who have served in our nation's military that understand the threat. They've seen the enemy face to face. And it's, it's not a game. You know, this idea that, you know, like um, the vice president, we played a clip of her earlier from uh, earlier, this, well, actually yesterday, from this weekend in Los Angeles, talking about those who are defending life are threatening our democracy. Look, the the, the inability to call the enemy the enemy, that is what's threatening our democracy. It's threatening our republic. It's threatening our future. We, we've got to stand up and s- tell it like it is. And I, I, we'll, we'll tell you that... I've watched Eli. He's in his first uh, term. Strong. He's doing a good job. Uh, Grateful that we're still producing men and women like that that love this country and are willing to defend it. Okay, I want to move on here for just a few minutes that we have left. You know, the the pro-life movement has achieved tremendous victories, as we saw in Florida last week. In fact, earlier today I was speaking with uh, Governor DeSantis and commended him on his heartbeat bill. But some Republicans continue to, to struggle with their messaging on the life issue. Political pundits, especially those on the left, continue spouting that pro-life candidates face an uphill battle post-ops. But given the massive opportunity the Supreme Court granted last year, opening the door for state lawmakers, as we were talking about earlier with Senator Rubio, have the ability to protect human life. How should they go about doing that? Joining me now to, uh, to discuss this, Brent Kylan, vice president of FRC Action. Brent, welcome back to Washington Watch.
8: Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you again. So there's this
1: narrative out here, and I, I addressed it uh, this weekend at an RC, RNC event in Nashville. There's this narrative that's being put out by the political class, the media, uh, political consultants, that the life issue is a liability and Republicans need to lay it down and move away from it. But that's not what the numbers tell us.
8: And it's certainly not what the people tell us. Tony, that's exactly right. A couple of stats that come to my mind on this and the point you're making right away are the the results that we saw in the elections last November if you look at what happened with these governors races you know you have uh, 11 governors who are on the ballot they were on the ballot for the first time since signing meaningful pro-life legislation. And Tony, all 11 of them won and none of the races were even close. And we're not talking about uh, 11 governors from just deep red states. We're talking about people who are traditionally in very competitive states, states like Georgia, Georgia, Florida, Iowa, and Ohio, that's really, really significant. And again, none of those races were even close. The other thing that I think we need to look at here is the U.S. Senate. The only seat to flip control last year uh, in the entire U.S. Senate to flip party control was in Pennsylvania, where we had Dr. Oz as the Republican candidate, and he was not strong on the life issue. Nobody's trying to make the case that he lost that seat because of the life issue, Tony. So we have to look at those numbers and the reality of what we saw last number uh, last November as we're looking at this issue and where the voters are at on it. Well, Brent, uh,
1: according to a report from Politico, Democrats spent about three hundred fifty eight million dollars in the midterm election on the topic of abortion. Republicans, on the other hand, spent, I think uh, I think it was about thirty seven million dollars on the life issue. That's not even close to being the same. So there's no way that you can win a debate or persuade people if you don't talk about something. And, you know, for 40 years, conservatives have pretty much owned this territory by talking about the protection of the unborn. All of a sudden, post-Dobbs, the discussion shifted to banning abortion, not protecting the unborn. And I think that had a tremendous impact on the
8: way the public saw the issue. Tony, you're exactly right. We did polling at FRC Action shortly before the Dobbs ruling came out and after the opinion was leaked. And so it wasn't like the public didn't know what was likely coming when we did this poll. And what we found is when we asked where registered voters were at on a, on a legislation that would protect uh, unborn children, uh, at the point at which a heartbeat can be detected, pro life, the pro life position won on that question by 14 points, when it was framed in terms of protecting unborn children. When we asked the same exact question, same exact wording, but we we, we simply tweaked the wording to say in this in the context of banning abortion, uh, that switched to the pro-life position losing by two points. And so like you're saying, Tony, it's so important as we're talking about this to make sure we are framing this in terms of this is about protecting. Unborn children. That's why the pro-life community is, is, is supporting these positions. The other thing we need to be really clear about, and Tony, I don't think we can say it too often, is what the alternative is. The alternative is abortion for any reason up until the moment of birth. At taxpayer expense, and that is a a truly radical position. That's a position that's opposed by 80% of Americans. And sadly, when I say that's the alternative position, I'm not saying that's a position that's supported by just a handful of people on the left. Unfortunately, that is the mainstream position. That's the mainstream okay. alternative right now. So when we're talking about this issue, it's so important to talk about defending unborn children, but also talking about what that very, very, very clear contrast what you, is on this. What you described is the Democratic Party's platform. I mean, that's yes. where
1: they stand on this issue. So if you want to talk about extreme, that's extreme. But you don't have a contrast if— you know, so-called pro-life candidates are not talking about it. Look, as I said, for nearly 40 years, the Republican Party has been a party of life, and they've talked about protecting the unborn. You know, we finally got to a point where we saw victory at the Supreme Court, and it's it's almost as if it's kind of like the dog that caught the car. They didn't know what to do with it at that point. Look, you just keep doing what you've been doing because the court decision did not eliminate abortion. It simply said the state lawmakers now will set the policy and the, and at the federal level as well, not law, not judges. So we have to continue our work. Now it's a little, actually a little bit harder. We got to go state by state talking about how we are going to build consensus to protect unborn children. And it's, it's a great opportunity, but we got to be willing to talk about it.
8: Tony, it's so true, we have to speak up, you can't win any public debate without saying anything. You just can't do it. So we have to be giving um, the alternative. We have to be talking about what our position is to make sure that that position is in fact being uh, represented in this public conversation. Tony, the other thing I'd like to mention quickly, if I could, is I I know uh, many of the listeners, many of the viewers are very, very um, invested in this topic. And we do have other resources on this. One of them is our event coming up this fall, Prevote Stand Summit. We know this issue is going to be discussed a whole lot all the way through this fall, all the way through next year. And if you're wanting to know what's going on, we're going to have government Mm -hmm. leaders talking about it, experts. How do we talk about it? And then how can we take solutions on this, impact our communities on this specific topic? We would love to have you uh, join us for our our, our event this fall as well, as we'll be talking more about it.
1: That's right. That's at uh, PrayVoteStand.org. You can register there at PrayVoteStand.org or find out more information. But love to have you September the 15th through the 17th right here in Washington, D.C. Brent Kylan, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today.
8: Good to be with you, Tony. Thank you.
1: And, folks, I do hope that you'll join us here in Washington for the Pray Vote Stand Summit. We'll have many of the uh, presidential hopefuls will be there, as well as other leaders, both state and uh, federal leaders will be there. And as Brent said, we'll be talking about the important issues of the day. Thanks so much for being with us on this Tuesday. Lord Willem, we'll be back again tomorrow, and I hope you will as well. Until then, I leave you once again with the encouraging words From the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported.